0: brought to you in part by StarCityGames.com Not only are they the home of the top content and coverage on the web, they're also the world's largest independent retailer for Magic the Gathering singles and supplies For more information, visit StarCityGames.com Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Lords of Limited. My name's Ben Warney, and joining me on the line is Ethan the Comeback Kid (laughs) Sax. (laughs) Ethan, how does it feel to have upped your win rate by like 15-20% to in this format? Feels
1: really good. It feels especially good that last week I was like, I don't think I'm doing anything wrong. I just think I'm hitting variance. Yeah. So I uh, I definitely went on a bit of a heater this week. Went from what 54% win rate last week to uh, I'm up to 68 this week. So I'm, I'm pretty happy. This this format is definitely feeling like a like a good fit for me so far. How about you? Yeah. This format feels like home. <laughs> I love
0: this format so much. It's everything I want to do. It's just pick powerful cards and put the powerful cards in your deck. Draw some cards and grind your opponent out. Yeah, for sure. Well, let's check in on the trophy leaderboard this week. Where are we at? Uh, So I'm 17 drafts deep. I have a 35 and 15 overall record with only four trophies. I've been a bit like LeBron James in the NBA finals, just running into better teams. Sports? I have like eight finals losses oh, God, Oh <laughs> uh, and a 70% win rate.
1: How about do you, you? Do you have a separate spreadsheet where you track all of your finals losses? Just you look at that <laughs> sad late at night. No, I just make it in my notes that I put about my about my deck. OK, uh, I'm at 41 drafts, which seems ridiculous for one week. Um, I'm 82 and 39 for wins and losses, 11 trophies for a 68% win rate. And what were you last week? Just for listeners that maybe didn't catch last I was week's like episode, thirteen and eleven. No trophies, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. That's just bonkers. And you yeah. don't feel like you've changed your approach at all.
1: I've, I'm a little higher on Simic generally, which we'll get into in a little bit. And I now have Gruel as the worst guild. I'm basically avoiding Red, which I feel like I'm always doing, and I feel bad <laughs> about that because <laughs> I want to like make sure that we're you know drafting all the archetypes were like experiencing all the colors and i i feel like every time i'm like red is bad but in ultimate masters we both thought like red was the best color um so it's not every set but it's most of most limited sets red just isn't very deep yeah it's really not doing it for me here i
0: i agree with your guild rankings i now also have gruel as the worst guild yeah
1: so we'll, we'll get into all that stuff in a little bit we're gonna do things a little bit differently this time around so in guilds of ravnica we sort of like decided to outline all the five guilds and the gate decks pretty early on and give you all like ideas about pick orders and and where we had certain like rares or uncommons that made us want to move into that deck. This format is a bit less on rails than that, I would say. And I think we're going to want to approach how we're going to outline decks or how we're going to move through these first few episodes in the early weeks of this format a bit differently. Um, So we're going to give you some big picture thoughts, talk about some decks that have have stood out to us. And then I think just navigating a few drafts together is going to really help folks see what we're doing and what we're having success with. Yeah. So before we get into any of that, we got to talk about that Patreon though. Patreon.com slash Lords of Limited, the place to give back to the show if you so choose. Of course, the show is always free. And you know, we talk about the Patreon all the time, but I do want to just take a quick moment. You know, we have our sweet little blurb at the beginning of the episode. I'm really, really happy to be part of the StarCityGames.com team. It's like really, really amazing to be part of their content producing team. And I'm very thankful that they uh, they took a chance on a little limited podcast like us. It's really cool to, to get them attached to our show. Yeah, super awesome. I never stop being excited when I see an email from Cedric. I'm like, oh, this is so cool. (laughs) It's very, very cool. Um, So the Patreon is the other place where we get support for the show. And when you do choose to support the show, we want to give back to you. We've got some incentives at different tiers. Everyone, though, gets access to the Lords of Limited Discord channel. We're breaking the format. Boys and girls, Trophy Hype channel is the place to be to look at what's consistently winning, get to see how people are building their decks, what cards they're including, what cards they're not including, what cards aren't showing up in decks that maybe you're overvaluing. All that stuff is really invaluable information. I highly recommend getting in on the Discord, and we have a lot of folks who agree with me. We got some new patrons to welcome this week, so we want to welcome Matt, Gerald, Duncan, Max, Rafaela, Ryan, Daniel, Aaron, Chris, David, Don, Eric, John, Blake, Leon, and Quinlan. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We really appreciate your support. What are you waiting for, ladies and gentlemen? Get on in the Lords of Limited Discord. Thank you, thank
0: you, thank you to all our new patrons.
1: For sure. Okay, let's dive right in, Ben. The episode is called Gate Breaking the Format. We sort of have gate broken open this format, I think. Um, so some big picture RNA thoughts uh, for me, and uh, I'm just going to sort of start vomiting out some stuff, and and I think you've got some stuff to add to this as well. But So of my 41 drafts, I, I want to just sort of synthesize some data from that, and I am heavily favoring Esper and Bant decks at the moment. So I think last week we had Rakdos as maybe number two, or I had Rakdos as the second best guild after Orzov. Now I feel very strongly that it's Orzov and Azorius, and I could even see Azorius edging out to number one at some point. Um, But being able to go white-black, blue-white, or base blue-green, I think, because blue-green offers a good base for a multicolor deck. Um, I've only drafted Rakdos once, but I did trophy with it, and I've drafted red-green a handful of times, either as just gruel itself or red green base for some sort of gate payoffs but red is the weakest color by a mile and i now have Gruul as the worst guild
0: yeah a lot of that makes a ton of sense to me i could see azorius being the number one guild at by the end of the format also i think mostly due to the fact that there's so many different flavors of azorius and i think Orzov is a little bit similar in the style of deck you want to build. You really want to kind of clog the board and then have an angelic exaltation or grind your opponent out with afterlife. But Azorius has flyers. It's got high alert build arounds. That's the uh, the toughness enchantment. There's a sweet Dovin's acuity deck. So I just think it's got a lot of different flavors and I keep losing to Azorius decks in the finals when I'm playing Orzov, I think Azorius has a really good matchup against Orzov. Yeah, for sure.
1: So is there an aggro menace in the format? I don't really think so. I mean, Gruul
0: sort of is aggressive and Rakdos sort of is aggressive, but I think the tools are just there to fight that. So you you and I both have Gruul as the worst guild, and I think that's the case because it's really single-minded in what it's trying to do. It really wants to attack on the ground with some large creatures that have haste and or trample. Drop a rhythm of the wild, and that's about all all that's going on there. It's not super deep, and you can really just stop that in Azorius or Orzhov. There's death touch creatures at common, uncommon. There's good cheap removal like Sky Tether or Slime Bind that trades up on mana. You know they're paying four mana, five mana for a creature. You pay one mana, two mana to neutralize it. It just feels like a very easy matchup to win most of the time i think
1: and i think i want to dive a little deeper here into why i feel like red is so weak and it's because even red's best commons like skewer the critics doesn't hit a lot of stuff like you think about the best creatures in this format like maybe it's hitting it kills chillbringer, sure but like azorius knight arbiter it doesn't kill frenzied erinx it doesn't kill uh adapted soraform hybrids it doesn't kill you know skewer the critics gets worse as the game progresses and the games are going long and i don't even think about Scorchmark anymore. Like deal two is really only good against the afterlife decks because it exiles the creatures. But a lot of the times these like red cards aren't doing a lot. I would agree with that 100%. I do think Skewer the Critics is a good card. And I think
0: it kills a lot of the flying threats in the format. Like I'm pretty happy to have Skewer than the Critics in my deck if I'm playing against Azorius.
1: I I agree. I'm not trying to say it's a bad card. It's just it's I think a little worse than I thought it was from when we looked at the spoiler.
0: I'd agree with that. Yeah.
1: Of the 41 drafts that I've done, I've only been just two colors in 14 of them. However, of my 11 trophies, seven of those decks have been just two colors. And I don't think that means that two plus color decks or three plus color decks are bad. I just think that means that when I'm incentivized to be two colors, it's because that guild is so wide open that you just have a bonkers deck that your deck is bonkers. So I think that that's more what this data represents to me than anything else.
0: Yeah. And speaking of gate breaking the format, we've been taking gates pretty highly. I think me even a little bit more so than you. The gates are far and away my most drafted common on MTGO right now.
1: Yeah, I've got like a couple cards interspersed in there, but of my like top 10, I think three of them are non gates. Yeah, they're just so good. Yeah, you started tweeting out some like PSAs about the format this week. And your first one was you're not taking gates high enough. Can you talk a bit about that? Yeah, I just think gates are outstanding. They do so much for you. So number one, I think the gate payoffs
0: in the format are some of the best cards in the set. Gatebreaker Ram is the two two that gets plus one plus one for each gate you control. Archway Angel, you gain two life for each gate you control when you cast it, its three, four flyer. Gates Ablaze is a build your own wrath with gates. Taking gates highly does several things for you. There's a lot of powerful cards to splash, and it opens up splash opportunities for you down the road. Two, it makes sure that your neighbors aren't getting past gates, so by that they're they're less incentivized to take cards like Gatebreaker Ram and Archway Angel and it makes it more likely that you're going to get past those cards like just the flexibility and the power level that it opens up for you in the format because i think a lot of the power levels concentrated in these gate build arounds and in gold cards
1: it just opens up so many different avenues for you to go down when we talk about cube or we talk about masters formats or we talk about sets like this where fixing is part of the things that you can draft, like Cons of Tarkir when there were dual lands and tri lands, we want to bring about the idea that when you draft lands, you get to play more of the cards that you draft, which makes your deck better, which I feel like is a hard concept to wrap your head around, because even as I say that, I'm like, well, how? Yeah, I'm getting to play more cards that I draft, but how does putting lands in my deck make my deck better? It doesn't make my like spells or creatures better, right? But the thing is, is that even in just a two color deck, having a consistent mana base is really important. If you think about wanting to make sure you can cast Arimunculus on turn three, or wanting to make sure you can cast pitiless Pontiff or Oligarch on turn two, having three, four gates without any payoffs and a two-color deck is still very strong. You know, a limited mana base is tough. It's tough to get enough sources. And when you have three, four copies of dual lands, that's just going to make your mana base so, so smooth. That's not even taking into account the fact that it's going to make splashing possible down the line. And then, of course, we have... The powerful gate payoffs has been talked about
0: so you actually do get incentivized for taking the gates like there are better cards you get to put in your deck as a result of having gates those five gate payoffs and then there's just cards like ethereal absolution like where if you're azorius and you happen to have an orzhov guild gate but you're taking ethereal absolution regardless but it makes it much easier and much more reliable to cast if you've got two orzhov guild gates
1: Yeah, I've noticed that I've been feeling like the CCDD cards are all worse in this set. These are the guild uncommons that have two color requirements from each part of the guild. And not because I think that these cards are necessarily weaker than the ones in Guilds of Ravnica, but that you're much more likely to be a three plus color deck than you are a two color deck, I think, if you're doing things correctly in this format. And that makes these cards harder to cast.
0: I agree, but you can still cast them. Right now I've got... (laughs) I've got... (laughs) I've got a five color Dovins acuity deck uh-huh. that has like the white black CCDD card in it just because if you take gates highly enough you can still cast these cards but I do agree you're less likely to take them I'm less likely to
1: take them early I think I think maybe that's what I mean like when I see them fourth I'm not like oh that's a signal like you saw Nightville Predator fourth or whatever in Guilds of Ramnica. That's probably not the best example because that was a bomb. But you saw those cards fourth, like Conclave Cavalier. You'd be like, oh, I think Selesnya might be open. Here, I'm like, who cares? Like, I I can't really afford to take that pack one pick four.
0: Right, because Guilds of Ravnica was sort of drafting on rails, and you wanted to find your lane, I think, as quickly as possible and profit. Yes. I'm actively trying to avoid finding a lane for a while, unless it's just painfully obvious that it's open. But I agree. I think that's more a better way to frame it. that The CCDD cards aren't early picks, but they are still powerful and you're going to put them in your deck and cast them if
1: you can. I agree with that for sure. A couple rare shout outs here. You're underrating cards that give you repeatable card advantage. This format is slow. There's not really an aggro menace as we talked about. So some rares like Tome of the Guild Pact, which is the five mana artifact, taps for any color of mana. And when you cast a multicolored card, you draw a card. Guardian Project, that's the three in a green enchantment that tacks on draw a card to all of your creatures as long as you don't already control one of them with the same name or it's in your graveyard. And Verity Circle, which is two in a blue enchantment whenever a creature your opponent's control become tapped. If they're not being declared as an attacker, you draw a card and you can pay four in a blue to tap a non-flyer your opponent's control. Uh, all those cards are getting passed to me ridiculously late. Like you just should be taking these cards higher. Verity circle is probably the worst of the bunch because it's like dead against blue decks, but it's still a very strong card.
0: Yeah. A really common pattern for how games play out in this format, like in mid range and or late game control decks, which there are a lot of is just, you play your cards and the person that has two to three more cards wins the game because you your sources your cards slam against each other like going thinking back to your value of a card episode where you did the show notes for that one Mm -hmm. I really feel like that's true in this format like you're just trying to get up in cards and whether that's a single card that requires two of your opponent's cards to answer or you know you draw two cards or whatever the number of times you two for one your opponent and just end up with a couple more cards I think a lot of games
1: play out that way in this format yeah I mean that's just another reason why the lockets are so good when when the dust settles when you and your opponents have played out all of your things And your opponent has a locket in play. It feels really bad when they crack that on end step, and they they're just now looking at three fresh cards on their first main phase. Right, and but so by extension, these rares are just busted because they represent potentially being up four,
0: five, six cards on your opponent.
1: Mm -hmm. And like you know, I don't think Guardian Project or Verity Circle ask much of your deck. Tome of the Guild pact acts asks you to build around it, but it's not that hard. And the fact that it offers you fixing, and the fact that you are playing these three, four color decks, and hopefully you are taking these gates sooner. This card is is not hard to get off the ground. And once you chain together spells, it's just busted. Mm-hmm. This format is really complex, I think. I don't think it's difficult. Like, I don't think you and I are finding it to be, like, hard to draft. But I think there is a lot... It's a lot different than other formats we've seen. Um, there's a ton of powerful build arounds, like even in Dominaria, there weren't really like build around cards, like Lich's Mastery was one, but really you were just like building powerful decks. You were taking powerful uncommons and putting them in your deck. They didn't require a lot of you. There are a lot of cards in this format that drastically change pick orders for me. Rakdos can be two different decks, maybe even three different decks, right? You can be more aggro, more control. You can be the one power attackers deck, which we'll look at in a little bit. Azorius, I think is probably the deepest You can be tempo flyers. You can be late game control. You can draft around high alert. You can draft a mill deck. You can draft around Dovin's acuity. So with the amount of options there are, I think the set feels closer to like a master set or even a cube than a regular limited set to me. Yeah,
0: it's difficult as a podcast like co-host, you know, you and I were talking about this. Like, how do we make you better at the format? Like, I think it feels pretty natural to us to draft all these different styles of decks and to read what's open. And it really does. You do have to draft a deck. And you have to try to draft build arounds and you have to try to maximize the power level of cards because there's a lot of cards in the format that just have a sliding scale of like, I don't really want this in my deck to this could be one of the best cards in my deck. Right. To like, God, I hope I get this card. Yes. Like when I'm drafting Orzov, all I want to see is Angelic Exaltation. Like, I'm just praying. Can someone pass me an Angelic Exaltation?
1: Uh, this next point is something that is going to sound ridiculous, but I hopefully we can, we can parse it out. And I'd love to get your thoughts on this, Ben, which is that I feel like curving out is not important but affecting the board early is important you know like i don't feel like i need to worry about going like two drop three drop four drop or two drop three drop two drop two drop you know but i do feel like i need to be doing things on turn two i do feel like i need a good curve in my deck but not necessarily that it's like really important because because no one's like beating down and you're gonna get brick walled like if you if your strategy is to go like two two three three four four or whatever, like your two twos and three threes are gonna get blanked, but you still need them. Does that make sense? No, I absolutely agree. I think you want to curve out,
0: but not necessarily with the plan of curving out to attack your opponent dead like you were in guilds of Ravnica. it's curving out with the idea of okay i'm gonna clog the board up a little bit to make sure that my opponent doesn't try the bad plan of aggroing me out and then i'll win with my powerful four five six mana spells
1: yeah you made a comment on your stream earlier this week that was you feel like you're just trying to play to not lose yes absolutely i just don't want
0: to lose and i feel like if i don't lose then I'm going to win eventually, whether it's through, you know, dirtling around with an ill-gotten inheritance or, you know, recurring some archway angels or some gate Raker rams with the dead rebels. There's there's so many powerful ways in this format to build inevitability into your deck, whether it's double clear the mind, that's two and a blue, target player shuffles their graveyard into their library draw card, whether it's putting two dead rebels in your deck and redrawing your two best creatures after your opponent spends premium removal spells on them. There's so many good ways to say, I'm going to win the late game. And then once people start figuring that out, you have to you have to figure out how to win the late game here.
1: Right, yeah. So like this only works if you are a little lucky in getting powerful cards, but it's not that hard. Like you don't need rares. There are really powerful cards at uncommon, at the gate payoffs being chief among them, I think. Um, but even looking at cards like commons, like, Ill-gotten inheritance is a win condition, a very real win condition. Yeah. And it's one of my favorite ways to sit around and win the game. <laughs> right. It's a perfect example of just like, well, if I if I don't die, then I'm going to win because I have this card in play. I think that card, something like Impassioned Orator is a card that I really like. That's the one in a white 2-2 two, two, that says whenever another creature enters the battlefield under your control, you gain a life. This sort of like repeatable, incremental, tacked on sources of life gain are really important in the let me just not die plan.
0: No, I absolutely agree. Impassioned Orator goes Criminally late. I don't think that card should
1: ever wheel and it wheels all the time. Yeah. Ryan Sachs tweeted out before GP New Jersey a list of his like top commons for all the colors and the guilds. And I agreed with like almost all of it, except Impassion Order did not make his top three white commons, which was sort of shocking to me because I still have that as number two after summary judgment. Yeah. I agree. I think your decks are going to be less linear in this format, if that makes sense. Like, it feels, again, I think that has to do with them being multicolored most of the time. I think that has to do with lands being taken highly more of the time. They're going to be more toolboxy, I think, as you put it earlier this week to me. Like your decks all want access to early plays, finishers, or ways to win the game card advantage and removal. So like during the draft, you're sort of like ticking all these boxes of like, do I have my X number of removal spells? Do I have my ways to win? Do I have my X number of two drops that I want? Do I have some ways to draw cards? All that stuff is sort of what you want at the end of your 45 picks,
0: right? You really are drafting a deck, you know, for example, in Orzhov, if I've got two final payments, and I don't have any ways to two for one, if I don't have an Orzov locket yet, or I don't have a dead rebels, I'm going to take Dead Rebels over Grotesquemize, you know, in Pack Three, even though Grotesquemize is objectively a better card, because you just have to make sure you draft a deck with a plan to win and to get ahead of your opponent on card advantage. Yeah, for sure. I've been finding, you know, in the games I've played out that either I really want to be late, 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 late game control, or, you know, occasionally when I'm doing that, I'll lose to a hyper aggro deck. But I found that the mid range decks that don't have a very clear identity have not been very successful. Do you have any experiences with any of that?
1: Yeah, I think that's true. Mostly, I feel like the exception might be like some Azorius high alert decks or something. Cause those are sort of mid rangey. Like you're eventually trying to attack once you get, you know, your high alert on board and you've got your toughness, high toughness flyers or your Azorius night arbiter. And that isn't like super, super late game, but I I think you're mostly right. I think that the aggro decks come together way less often than the control decks do.
0: Yes. I would agree with that because I think there's just, uh, I think, because you should be trying to draft control. I think drafting control is the optimal strategy, but not everybody in an eight person pod gets to draft control. Mm -hmm. So if that's the case, then you're going to try to draft an aggro deck. Boy, would that be sad? (laughs) It really would. (laughs) So one of the other things that people aren't talking about in this format that I really feel myself thinking about during the draft is that there's a lot of cards where the power level is on a sliding scale that's very drastic. So a card like Sky Tether, for example, I see wheel a lot. Sky Tether in the right deck is literally swords to shoes. If like, if you're in a Zorius Flyers deck or you want to win with Night Arbiter or you want to win with Ill-Gotten Inheritance and the potential to wheel a card like that and have it be a premium removal spell in your deck is a great way to like up the power level of your deck through picks that you're taking or a card like Slimebind, for example, is similar. Like it's, a, it really is, you know, we joked about it during the set review, but I think in the right deck, Slimebind literally is Doomblade against certain matchups. Like, you know, your opponent plays Frenzied Eryx and you Slimebind it great. You spent two mana, they spent four mana. Or cards like the gate payoffs, you know, those range from one of the best cards in your deck. If you've got seven, eight plus gates to barely playable if you've got two to three gates. Or a card like, you know, one of the cards I lose to the most against good gruel decks is Flames of the Razbor when I'm playing Azorius. That card goes from probably don't want to put it in your deck if you only have two to three ways to trigger it. But if you've got, you know, five, six, seven, four power plus creatures, it becomes a premium removal spell in your deck. And similarly, all these build around enchantments, you know, High Alert, Rhythm of the Wild. We're going to take a look at Cavalcade of Calamity a little later in the episode those all go from, yeah, I really want this card to, uh, no, my deck can't really afford to do that kind of
1: thing. Yeah. I think that goes back to the point about like why this format feels so complex and why pick orders change so frequently. And you really have to have a strong idea about how to build decks to be able to make those decisions and change those rankings of cards as you're going through. I mean, even just drafting the gate deck, I think it is really hard. Like I Have people commenting on stream a lot this week about taking gates versus gate payoff cards. And I think there's a real balance of like, well, I've already got one gate payoff card and people go, oh, well, now you take Gate Colossus over this gate. I'm like, if I take this other gate payoff card and we're like midway through pack two, I feel like I have a higher chance of not getting to have either of them be good. Whereas if I've already got one, let's now start taking some gates. Maybe I think understanding that sort of balance and when doing one thing is correct or like, well, I've got the build around and now do I take the things that support the build around or do I take a second copy of that build around? Like, I think all that stuff is really, really interesting.
0: I have a firm. No pass policy on every gate payoff, but uh, the Ophidian. <laughs> what's the what's the name of the Ophidian? The, the gateway, gateway sneak. sneak. The other four, I'm slam
1: jamming nine out of ten times. That's funny. Yeah, I mean, I think I'm a little bit more conservative about my my gates and gate payoffs, but uh, you like to to try and draft against the arena bots on MTGO. I do. Um, speaking of, you took a little foray into arena. I feel like we should talk about it just just slightly about what's going on over there.
0: Yeah, I've done one draft on Arena and I've talked to a lot of people about drafts on Arena and I've watched some Arena draft streams and the bots just let you wheel every single gate. It feels like maybe not all of them, but you can consistently count on wheeling six, seven gates out of the pack and such a sort of warps the format because the gate payoff cards become nigh unpassable for real. And I think, you know. The format just sort of devolves into these grindy gate mirrors. And I think, you know, Pro Points did a really sweet episode on that this week. So if you're interested in drafting Arena a lot, I would highly encourage you to check out uh, the latest Pro Points episode.
1: Um so we'll talk about the gate deck um, from our experience in just a little bit. I think we maybe want to do a quick rundown of the five guilds in this format, and then we'll maybe dive deeper into a few archetypes that we have discovered this week. Yeah. So uh so why don't you start off with your favorite guild here, Ben? Orzov. Yeah, I've been championing Orzov. I've drafted
0: Orzov. By far the most, I think you're really just trying to flood the board with good afterlife creatures. Imperious oligarch feels great. It's one of the best plays on turn two in the format, I think, because it can pressure your opponent. It blocks well. It just does everything Orzov is trying to do. And then get a card like Angelic Exaltation or ill gotten Inheritance, some sort of enchantments that allows you to take advantage of the fact that you've clogged the board. So Angelic Exaltation will beef your creatures, make it impossible for your opponent to race you. Or if you've got, you know, one to two ill-gotten Inheritance, you can just sit back and let that enchantment do the work for you to win the game. Yeah. Makes
1: sense. Gruul is not a deck that either of us have had much experience with, um, but I have faced it down. I have lost to it for sure. Um, I think Rhythm of the Wild, probably chief among the best cards you can do in that deck. It's just a really scary card to see on turn three. And there are two reasons I think it's really scary to see on turn three. One is because the deck isn't really trying to curve out. I think people see like what's the Zerta Goblin is the uncommon, the red green 2-2 with Riot. And they think that's like a, a good card that this deck wants to have. It's not really better than like Soraform Hybrid in the deck or Territorial Boar in the deck. Like it doesn't really matter. What the deck is trying to do is just play four mana four fours and five mana five fives until your opponent is dead. Preferably with Haste and Trample. Preferably with Haste and Trample. Exactly. I mean, Frenzied Erynx is just so stupid. And Savage Smash is very good as well as a way to kill a creature and then push through damage. Um, But I think, uh, I think thinking about it as like a curve out aggro deck is incorrect. And I think thinking about it as a just I'm going to play creatures that are so much bigger than my opponents. I mean, it's so hard when you're Azorius, and all of your creatures are like one fours and two fives, or if you're Orzov, and all of your creatures are like two ones with afterlife, like you are going to have a hard time dealing with four fours and five fives
0: but you get but i just don't think that's necessarily true if you build your deck right that's why i think i think rules back because you get cards like sky tether slime bind final payment that just embarrass all of right Ruel's big dumb creatures
1: yes no i 100 uh, agree
0: so moving on to azorius there's a ton of different flavors of azorius but i think at its heart ultimately it's a blue white flyers deck
1: yeah i think so i think that makes sense i mean we outlined a few of the build rounds. we outlined we're going to outline a different kind of deck in a little bit that we're both very very happy about um but azorius hills really deep i mean both white and blues commons and its guild commons are all pretty strong
0: yep and i think one of the reasons that azorius flyers feels so good is because you get a turn cards like sky tether and slimebine into premium removal spells for your deck yeah absolutely
1: rakdos is up next uh rakdos has a bunch of different flavors too i think it can be an aggro deck i think spear spewer is a great enabler for the deck and i think it goes really well in tandem with ill gotten inheritance because then you're just hitting your opponent for two each turn and you're not getting hit you know blade juggler is fantastic you get some good removal from black, you get big creatures from red. I think Rubble Belt Recluse has seemed pretty good as a top end for some Rakdos decks. It also, because it has access to Blade Juggler, can be a control deck or can be more of a mid-range deck. I mean, you have these inherent two-for-ones and a 3-2 on the board is a pretty big deal. So I think you know the deck can range from hyper aggro to really just like sitting back and having removal and winning through ill-gotten inheritance and Spears spewer that sort of thing sweet so moving on to some decks that we want to outline a little bit more specifically yesterday i drafted straight simic for the first time in 40 drafts and i 306 with it whoa yeah i sort of had this inkling as i was drafting it i sort of knew what i wanted to do i had sort of seen this kind of deck on the other side of the battlefield but i had felt like best version of Simic was an aggro deck because people are often building control decks, I think, is our experience. So what I didn't realize about it is it's an aggro deck with built-in flood insurance, which makes it really strong, I think. The fact that, you know, you can you're happy to stop at four mana or whatever because you're playing your Sauriform Hybrid, your Aeromonculus, and then your Shark to Crab. But if you get to six mana, then you get to turn your 2 2 into a 6 6, which is also great. So it feels like it's really flexible. And I think, you know, you don't get access to good removal. I don't think Titanic Brawl is what this deck wants because I think what you want to be doing is just bouncing your opponent's stuff with Applied Biomancy or Arrester's Admonition or like tapping it down and drawing a card with that uh, Creeping Chill Uncommon. And the reason I think that the fight spells isn't good because, like, you want to get stuff out of the way on turn four when you your creatures aren't adapted yet. So your fight spells aren't often good. The Titanic Brawl often doesn't match up pretty well. But the deck was really strong. And I think it's going to come together not super often, but it felt good that it like clicked for me what Simic was trying to do. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. LSB also
0: just tweeted his like 8-1 sealed deck from GP New Jersey. And it was very much a Simic tempo deck, like had a lot of bounce and ways to push through damage.
1: Yeah. uh, So I think bounce is good. And Stony Strength, the single green plus one plus one untap is much better than you think. I had one of them and I would have happily had more. Just was like really good against untapping Ants Chillbringer, adding a counter to a shark to crab, like all that stuff. Just felt really good and flexible.
0: Moving on to what is potentially the sweetest deck in the format. I have had the misfortune of losing to this deck like two to three times in the finals. And I had the mm-hmm. pleasure of watching you play this busted deck on stream yesterday. We've got Dovin's Acuity as one of the sweetest build arounds in the format. I kind of poo-pooed that as one of the enchantment build in our last episode. And I feel so bad about it.
1: This card is the real deal. Yeah. So Dovin's Acuity is information campaign, right? One white blue for an enchantment. When it enters the battlefield, you draw a card and gain two life. And whenever you cast an instant during your main phase, you can return it to your hand. All right. Before we go any further, is this card better than disinformation campaign? Yes. I think so, too. Which is insane. So one of our like takeaways from our like 50 takes and 50 minutes from Guilds of Ravnica, we were like, man, we really missed on disinformation campaign. Like, let's just not miss on these kinds of effects in the future. And then they like print a very similar card. And we're like, this card isn't very good. <laughs> like, so silly. Yeah. So I also like found this deck by losing to it a couple times. You know, like my opponent plays Dovin's Acuity. And I'm like, well, great. That's a do nothing but it is a very real build around and i think potentially the strongest deck in the format it reminds me so much of the spider spawning deck from triple innistrad that deck was just like a you get to your the end of your library and then you can stack back a few cards and you had this like three card infinite loop and this deck does a very very similar thing yeah if you just don't die you absolutely win the late game. Okay, so the way this deck works is it just plays to not lose, as Ben says. So you're just gaining a bunch of life because you're, you know, abusing Dovin's Acuity. And then you don't deck because you have. Ideally, you have two Clear the Minds, or you could have Clear the Mind plus Junk Troller, but I think two Clear the Minds is best. So that means you never deck, and then you just eventually win by your opponent decking because you're just gaining all this life. You're only shuffling back in spells, and then your opponent is dead.
0: And Dovin's Acuity is so good because it's the engine card for the deck
1: and it gains you life, which helps you not die. Right. So the key. There's a lot of keys to the deck, but one of the things you really need is life gain. So Impassioned Orator is important. That's the two drop Soul Warden. Sphinx's Insight, that's the two white blue draw two with addendum gain two life. And Archway Angel, if you've got some gates, are all really important in gaining you life on your road to not dying. Yeah, Sphinx's Insight is just backbreaking in this deck in tandem with
0: Dovin's Acuity because all of a sudden it's pay four mana, draw three cards, gain four life. I guess you have to pay the three mana for the Dovin's Acuity again, but like, You've got so many land
1: drops by that point that you just don't care. You need instance for Dovin's acuity, right? Uh, Counterspells are good, but they're not going to trigger acuity. So you need instance that you're happy to trigger acuity with. I think six plus is good. I think six is the base level. Six will be okay with. Summary judgment, I think, is probably the most important after Sphinx's insight. So that's the one in a white deal three to a tapped creature or deal five if it's your main phase. Um, because that's something you're happy to fire off during your main phase, and it's going to trigger Acuity. After that, I think Arrestor's Admonition, the Bounce Draw Card, Code of Constraint, that's the tap a creature, it doesn't untap, you draw a card, and Depose Deploy are all really, really strong.
0: If you go into Bant or Esper flavors of this, which I think is fairly common, because the the list of instants that you really, really want to play with, Dovin's Acuity, is small. So sometimes you have to dip into another color to get the good instance. Growth Spiral becomes huge. Uh, it's green and a blue put a land onto the battlefield, draw a card. And one. this, I think, is one of the best cards in tandem with Dovin's Acuity because it helps... You're drawing so many cards that you want to hit land drops, and this helps you hit extra land drops and get ahead on mana. And then all of a sudden, you're drawing two cards every time you cast Gross Spiral. It's just a really, really good way to get ahead. Applied Biomancy has been pretty great. Uh, it's the instant speed bounce spell. Target creature gets plus one, plus one. You just want to make sure that you're not getting beaten down. And when you've got Dovin's Acuity on the battlefield, Applied Biomancy becomes... Bounce a creature draw card, which is not card disadvantage. So again, you're fine with applied biomancy there, just stalls and helps you gain time to get ahead on lands and life. Final payment is a removal spell at instant speed, mortify removal spell at instant speed, grotesque removal spell instant
1: speed. All three of those turn into kill your creature draw card, which is just absolutely stupid. You need counter spells as key permission, because I was finding as I was playing the deck yesterday that my opponent would cast uh, an Imperius Oligarch. Don't care like they would be casting these spells that like didn't matter because I had ways to block or whatever. And then there would be this one thing like I couldn't let the Chillbringer hit the battlefield or something like that. So you really needed a a key piece of permission. I had one copy of Thought Collapse and one copy of Essence Capture. I really wished that I had two Thought Collapses. I would have happily played a second one. Um, So just being able to counter spells was more important than countering creatures.
0: Well, and Thought Collapse also in the mirror or in like a grindy matchup
1: protects your Clear the minds from opposing
0: counter spells. Yes, absolutely.
1: So you're looking for creatures that gum up the board as well. High toughness creatures and creatures with flying are really important. So Senate Courier is like the best of the bunch here. Humungulus, Night Arbiter, Chillbringer to be able to tap a thing and present a flyer. All of those are really important. And of course, Archway Angel at the top sort of just does it all. Oof, Archway Angel is so good. (laughs) Yeah. I didn't face Gruul, but I imagined that the deck has a tough time against Gruul because... Four fours with trample or five fives kind of embarrass it. So you need removal in this deck as well. And sometimes it's not going to be spells. I think Law Mages binding or slime binds are also fine, but that may be tough in terms of the build of it because there's so many pieces you need, right? You need creatures to gum up the ground, you need the acuities, you need the clear the mines, which aren't instance, and then you need instance to trigger acuity. You don't have a ton of slots left over for that enchantment removal, but sometimes I think you need it. I would have happily run a law mages binding if I had access to one.
0: Right. I think bring to trial like one copy of bring to trial sounds pretty good in this deck
1: because like you can cast it and then loop it back into your deck to draw it again with clear the mind. Right. And again, I think it's fine. Like because I think you have such a good matchup against Orzov or Azorius where bring to trial is basically a dead card. So this is the sorcery speed uh, exile target creature with power four or greater. So it's dead against white decks. But I don't think that matters because you have such a good white deck matchup that against green decks, it's going to be good.
0: Yeah. And we'll try to stick a deck pick from your insane Dobin Security deck in the show notes where you download the episode so that you yes. guys can check it out.
1: Yeah, I tweeted it, too. So if you're on Twitter, you can check that out there as well. But it's uh, yeah, I 306 with that deck, too. It was I've never played a deck like that ever and it just felt unbeatable
0: sweet moving on to our next build around enchantment that we sort of snubbed a little bit also in our enchantment segment last week cavalcade of calamity i think this card is the real deal cavalcade of calamity is one in a red for an enchantment that says whenever a creature you control with power one or less attacks cavalcade of calamity deals one damage to target opponent
1: yeah i had the misfortune of facing this deck earlier this week in the finals and i was like you know, my opponent was playing all these Junker cards, like playing like Footlight Fiend and Goblin Gathering. And then they stuck Cavalcade of Calamity. And I was like, oh, no, <laughs> this is a very good deck. Like I was like sort of laughing about like, well, that card sucks. That's oh, no, like I'm going to die to this deck because even if I block stuff like your Footlight Fiend is now dealing me like three damage, like it's like dealing damage on attacks. If I block with it, then it's still going to like hit me again. Like it's so, so good, I think. Right. So this is sort
0: of a Rakdos deck on steroids. Right. Because Rakdos, Rakdos generally, I think one of the most common builds wants to get in some damage early and then try to finish you off, you know, by chipping in with damage a little bit later in the game. And this really tries to uh, accelerate that. So you really want to game plan when you've got a cavalcade of calamity is get in, you know, 12 to 14 damage in the early turns. And then you're trying to close the game out with cards like Cavalcade of Calamity uh, to get those last points of unblockable damage through Fireblade Artist to sacrifice those derpy one power creatures that you've got laying around to deal two damage to the opponent. Blood Mist Infiltrator can close out the games. That's the two and a black three one that lets you sacrifice a creature. Uh, to make it unblockable and vindictive vampire again, you know, if you're attacking with all these one powered creatures, all of a sudden, if your opponent tries to block them, you know, you're going wide. And then regardless, each creature that attacks is dealing a damage. And when it dies, it's dealing them a point of damage. So you can just really put your opponent in a bind to where if you've got them at a certain life total, they just can't
1: stabilize ever. Yeah, I have I found it to be really hard to play against that one time. I certainly went 0-2 against it. I think it's going to be hard for me to get into it as long as people are not drafting gates highly. I agree. <laughs> um, but I think it's a powerful deck. And I'm curious to know if folks who have had success with it, if we could get some deck picks, because I want to know what the like ratio of things is. Like, how many Cavalcade of Calamities do you want? How many one power things do you want? How many other ways to abuse one power things do you want? Like there's a lot of individually bad cards that I think you have to put in your deck. Like this deck is definitely greater than the sum of its parts. And I'm curious to see what that makeup is.
0: Right, so I think that's a little bit of a knock against the deck. Because there are so many decks that just play so many insanely good cards that drafting a deck where you're hoping to draw your bad cards like synergistically is not like necessarily what you want to do. But like not everybody at a table of drafters gets to draft, you know, gatebreaker ram dot deck. So you need to make sure you've got this as a tool in your arsenal. And I think one of the best things about this deck is that it just slams the dirtily gate decks and the dirtily azorius decks because it
1: makes it so hard for you to stabilize. Right. So many decks are spending the first couple turns setting up their mana. You know, they're like tap lands into lockets or whatever, and this deck just punishes that so hard.
0: So some cards that go up in value specifically in the deck, uh, Tin Street Dodger, that's the single red 1-1 one one that you can pay a red and let it not be able to be blocked except by creatures with Defender. Goblin Gathering, that's the collect them all. Uh, so the first one makes two one one goblins, the next one makes three, four, and so on. Uh, Rakdos Trumpeteer, that's the one on a black 1-3 menace that all of a sudden turns into a two power menace that has pump later on in the game. And Footlight Fiend, uh, the one mana, one, one that when it dies, you deal damage to something. All of those cards, I mean, obviously one power things with Cavalcade of Calamity, but really do some work in tandem with each other and with a Cavalcade of Calamity.
1: So moving towards the sort of like opposite end of the spectrum of like hyper red, black aggro, I think we should talk about the gate deck here.
0: Oh, can we please?
1: Yeah. So why don't you, uh, Dr. Gates over here, why don't you tell us uh, about what the composition of these decks is looking like?
0: So I think you're legitimately a gate deck once you can say you've got three plus of the top four gate payoffs. So we got some some gate payoff power rankings for you here. Uh, and the number five slot gateway sneak. That card's just a good card. Um, you, you'd put it in your gate deck, but it doesn't pull me into the gate deck at all. Uh, gate Colossus at number four. That's the eight mana eight eight that costs one less to cast for each gate you play. Can't be blocked by creatures power two or less. That's super relevant. I, every once in a while I forget that's on the card. <laughs> Uh, and then when you play a gate, you get a rebuy it and put it on top of your deck gates of blaze at number three. That's the wrath equal to the number of gates you have, uh, it does X damage to each creature equal to the number of gates you have archway angel, five and a white for the four five. Nope. God, that would be busted. <laughs> five and a white <laughs> for the three, four flyer. and uh, you gain two life for each gate you control and Gatebreaker Ram is the two and a green two, two, uh, that gets plus one, plus one for each gate breaker you control at number one. So as, if you've got any three of Gate breaker Ram, Archway Angel, Gates of Blaze and Gate Colossus, I think you can say you're a gate deck. Um, and I think you're wanting in the number of gates range from anywhere from seven gates up to 14. And they were talking about this on pro points that like specifically on arena, because you can get the gates so easily that 14 might be the optimal number of gates uh, because then you can play like a mountain, an island and a forest. And that lets you have the flexibility on turn three to play Gatebreaker Ram, Gateway Sneak, or Gates Ablaze, potentially on curve if you need to. Uh, it was really cool to hear them talk about that. I highly recommend the, the Pro Points Gates episode.
1: Are you running 17 lands then? So you're running a bunch of gates, but you're running 17 probably? Yeah,
0: 17 lands uh, and as many gates as I can get my hands on generally, uh, which is much harder to do on MTGO than it is on Arena. I think you definitely want some card advantage spells, two to three cards that draw you cards or two for one some removal spells and the rest i think you're just trying to grab whatever the best cards you can like just identify the objectively highest power level card and if you can cast it still have a semi-reasonable curve and a semi-reasonable number of sources for
1: that card you just jam it in your deck yeah i mean the flexibility of your mana base in these decks if you get good mana which is is pretty easy to do with gates gateway plaza i'm a big fan of open the gates um it just allows you to play whatever you want. There's a lot of single pipped cards in this format at uncommon or rare that you can get past that are really powerful and easy to put in your deck.
0: Right. And I think another thing about the Gates deck, similar to Azorius, is cheap removal like Summary Judgment, Slimebind, and Sky Tether just skyrocket in value. Because if you just stop your opponent's creatures, it lets you two for one and double spell and catch up from when you're behind from playing gates and playing a turn off curve from playing tap lands. Yeah,
1: yeah, agreed. I mean, this deck is so fun to draft. And there's so many different flavors of this deck, too, I think.
0: Oh, yeah, there's spell based. I think there's creature based. I think, you know, depending on the number of gate payoffs you have, there's three colored, there's five colored. Generally, I'm almost always base two colors. Um, and I think that's one of the reasons that Simic has moved up ahead of me for Gruul. You actually sort of brought that to my attention was that Simic is just much better
1: at pivoting into a multicolored deck than Gruul is. Right. Yeah. I think that's one of Simic's best homes really is like, I think a a Bant deck is great in this format. Um, I'm really like happy with that because green, green specifically having like a good two drop and sore form hybrid and a good mana fixer and open the gates really lets you do some pretty flexible things. The point you just brought up about being a base two color deck is I think an important one as we're talking about all these like splashing and being three, four colors in your draft, you really need to be base two colors. Like you want to make sure that your mana base at the end of the day is like something like eight, eight, nine, eight for your base two colors. And then you've got a few sources for whatever else you're splashing. Like Ben and I are not building decks that are like six, six, six or whatever. Like we are very conscious of what our main two colors are we're not like main three colors that's really hard to do most
0: often i think i'm four colors base two colors and my sources are something like nine eight for my base colors and then like five or four sources for my secondary colors because i'm picking gates pretty highly and oftentimes you know if i'm four colors i'm happily playing two lockets to
1: help myself get up to colored sources yeah right lockets help as well there for sure all right well that's a ton of information. I would love to be able to sit down at a round table with you and take a look at a draft log. Yeah. So if you take a seat at the round table, pack one, pick one, your following
0: options are, I think Sky Tether in consideration here. Single white mana and creature has defender and loses flying. There's a pitiless pontiff. The white black uncommon two two has the activated ability of pay one, sacrifice another creature to give it death touch and indestructible until end of turn. There's collision colossus. That's the split gruel card first is one and a hybrid gruel mana for an instant deals six damage target creature with flying, or red, green for an instant, target creature gets plus four, plus two and gains trample until end of turn. There's an Azorius Guildgate, the White Blue Tap Land, and your rare is kind of a junker. Font of Agony, single black. Whenever you gain life, put that many blood counters on font of agonies and pay one and a black remove four blood counters to destroy target creature. There's also a Sauroform hybrid in the pack, uh, one and a green for the two-two, and has four green green adapt four.
1: Yeah, I think of the mono cards, Sorform, Hybrid, or Sky Tether stick out to me. But Pitiless Pontiff, even though it's Orzov, is probably the best card in the pack. And I say even though it's Orzov, meaning like it's not flexible, but it doesn't really matter in this format because there's only really five guilds you can draft rather than. Than all 10 color pairs so i don't think there's that big of a risk and pitiless pontiff is just one of the best cards in an orsov deck it's a really powerful two drop
0: yeah i was really torn between pitiless pontiff and sky tether because i think sky tether is like a more flexible first pick because it let it leads you to drafting any sort of a dirtily a dirtily azorius deck a dirtily esper deck a dirtily Orzov deck and or a dirtily band deck like it just goes in any good multicolored control deck and pitiless pontiff is a bit more narrow but i i decided to take the pontiff because it was higher higher payoff if it worked out yeah i agree with that so moving on to pack one pick two you see the following cards as options there's an orzov Guildgate. There's a Gateway Sneak, 2 and a blue for the 1-3. When it deals combat damage to a player, you draw a card, and whenever you play a gate, Gateway Sneak can't be blocked this turn. There's Carnival Carnage, uh, Rakdos hybrid mana for an instant to deal 1 damage to a creature or planeswalker and 1 damage to that permanence controller. And Carnage, the 4 mana Mind Rot, deal 3 damage to that opponent. There's also a Blade Juggler, 4 and a black for the 3-2 spectacle cost of two and a black and when it etbs it deals one damage to you and you draw a card
1: yeah this pretty quickly comes down to gateway sneak versus blade juggler for me i mean the words of guildgate is nice but i think these other two cards are powerful pickups um i think blade juggler is weaker than gateway sneak at the moment but that could be wrong um but blade juggler stays on color with the pontiff and so even though the two cards are definitely close for me i would take blade juggler here Yeah, I think Blade Juggler is one of the keys to the Orzhov decks really being good because you want to play twos and curve out and
0: curving into Blade Juggler feels so good because it's a two for one that affects the board. And then if your opponent's dirtling around at all, all of a sudden you've got a two one afterlife on two and a three two on three that drew you a card and they're just pretty far behind. Blade Juggler feels great to me and I happily picked it up there. Moving on to pack one, pick three. You see the following cards as options. There's an Arrestor's Admonition, two and a blue for the instant return target creature to its owner's hand and Addendum Draw a card. There's Cry of the Carnarium, one black, black for a sorcery. All creatures get minus two, minus two until end of turn. Exile all creature cards in all graveyards that were put there from the battlefield this turn. And if a creature would die this turn, exile it instead. There's a Grasping Thrall, three white, black for the three, three flyer. When ETBs deal two damage to each opponent and you gain two life. And there's an Impassioned Orator, one and a white for the two, two. When an ETB is under your control, you gain a life. And your guild gate in the pack is a Gruul guild gate.
1: Yeah, I really like this pick because it's going to show why Impassioned Order is my most drafted common by a lot. I would take Impassioned Order here. There's not a lot of good two drops in this format. And even though I think Grasping Thrill is a more powerful card, I want to take a good two here. I'm not worried about getting good five drops in this format. I'm worried about having a good curve. I agree,
0: except I felt like when I made this pick, I remember thinking that Impassioned Order was probably the pick here, but I decided that Impassioned Orders had been going pretty late, and I've often been wheeling them, so maybe I didn't need to spend as high of a pick on it, and I could just cut Orzov, like cut the Orzov gold card here, and maybe push people out of Orzov. So that's where my brain was at.
1: I, yeah, I mean, I think there's an argument for that. I also think Orzov suffers less from this problem because it also has Imperious Oligarch, which you're happy to play at two mana. Or like, you know, if you get the the Orzhov Enforcer at Uncommon, that's the one to Death Touch for one and a black with Afterlife one. Um, You know, you, you have options more so than other color pairs, I think. So I could see Grasping Thrall being correct here. So funny. Cry the Carnarium is just so off my radar. I never take it. Yeah, it's really not very good. It's a good sideboard card. Yeah, except it just so punishes your deck. So hard to draft a deck where it just doesn't also own all of your own creatures right
0: because black has a lot of small creatures either in rakdos or orzavia moving on to pack one pick four you see the following cards as options there's an eramunculus one blue green for the two three flyer with adapt one for two blue green there's an azorius Guildgate, and as far as like the best white or black card in the pack it's probably arrest or zeal single white for the instant target creature gets plus two plus two until end of turn and addendum uh, you can give that creature flying if you cast it during your main phase
1: yeah i mean it's a good time to take a gate. Uh, I like Aramunculus a lot. I think it's a very powerful card, and it's probably somewhat of a signal that Simic is open getting it fourth pick, but I see no reason to not take a gate here.
0: Yeah, I mean, Azorius Gilgate's just the perfect pickup because if if Orzhov dries up at all, you can just pivot into an Esper deck.
1: Yeah, I mean, just like this is, I think, a perfect example of, yeah, Aramunculus is a more is a powerful card, but like you taking a gate here... Opens up so many options for you down the road. Way more options
0: than Aramunculus opens up because then Aramunculus opens up only drafting Simic, whereas Azorius Guildgate opens up any combination of Orzhov in Azorius. Mm-hmm. Moving on to pack one, pick five. This is a weird pack here. There's like some random cards and then there's a precognitive perception, which is far and away the best card in the pack. Three blue, blue, instant draw three cards, addendum if you cast a spell during your main phase. Instead, scry three, then draw three cards.
1: That card should never go fifth pick in this format. These MTGO bots, you know, <laughs> like, <laughs> they're out of control. <laughs> what are they doing? They're out of control. Why, why don't they like precognitive perception? Like, yeah, so snapped
0: up precognitive perception there. There's nothing else to talk about in that pack.
1: There's a light up the stage, too. Hey, are you high on that card in draft? I'm not because it's red, but it's a very good card. Like it should not go pick five.
0: Uh, I think it maybe should because red's that bad.
1: Yeah, I don't think like Rakdos isn't that bad. This is a great card in Rakdos.
0: OK, that's fair. All right, moving on to pack one, pick six. You see the following cards as options. There's an Azorius Knight Arbiter, three white blue for the two five Vigi, and it can't be blocked. Mage is binding, one blue white for the enchantment with flash. Enchanted creature can't attack or block and its activated abilities can't be activated. There's an Orzov Guildgate. There's revival revenge which is unfortunately not a great card so it's orzob orzob split mana for a sorcery return target card with converted mana cost three or less from your graveyard to the battlefield or revenge is four white black for a sorcery double your life total target opponent loses half their life rounded up there's also skitter eel three and a blue for the three three with two and a blue adapt to slime bind one and a blue and chain of creature gets minus four minus o and summary judgment one and a white instant summary judgment deals three damage target tap creature or addendum it deals five damage instead. So this pack is just stacked with Azorius cards and at this point I'm feeling great. So I know my lanes open just through the sheer density of playable Orzhov cards there are here, as well as Azorius cards,
1: and I just know I'm going to draft some sort of a control deck. Yeah, Uh this is when you're allowed to just take the pack and run, right? You just <laughs> sc- scoop up these cards and you say, I'll see you all in pack two. I wish. Uh Yeah, I take Lawmage's Binding here uh, pretty clearly, Uh, and then Summary Judgment after that, but Lawmage's Binding is a really strong card. Yeah, this was a
0: tough pick for me. I think Orzhov Gates also very much in consideration because we really want to play
1: pre-cognitive perception that's and maybe... crazy <laughs> crazy <laughs> that's, huh that's crazy i think that's crazy to take to think that Orzov Guildgate is a pick over a removal spell here i
0: i don't know man i think the esper colored gates are so good yeah but they're not better than removal spells no probably not i mean i took law mage's binding here i'm just saying i, know you I did. think i think you should be thinking about Orzov Guildgate. moving on to pack one pick seven there's another late eramunculus there's a gateway plaza there's an impassioned order. That's the one in a white tutu that uh, lets you gain a life when a creature ETBs. And there's an Orzov guild gate.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm taking order here again. This is this is where we're different. Oh, yeah. And what's your thought process on Orzov Guildgate versus gateway plaza here? Uh, I think on
0: color guild gates are better than gateway plaza because I found like playing two turns off with the gateway plaza is such a real cost. Like I want uh-huh. exactly one gateway plaza if I'm like four to five color nonsense Otherwise, I'm hoping to not put gateway plaza in my deck and just have
1: all in color guild gates. Interesting. Yeah, I, I wonder, I think I'm, I might have taken plaza here if I'm taking a gate because I've been happy with one of them and I oftentimes really do want one, but maybe it's only in when I'm like four color nonsense.
0: Yeah. So I, I snapped up Orzov guild gate here. I I don't think this per, this pick is particularly close with Orzov guild gate versus impassioned order.
1: I gotta. I'll ch- have to check back in on this in a in like a week or so because right now I'm on Orator here. I- I'm just thrilled to have as many copies of that card in my deck as I can get.
0: Yeah, it's a great card. Moving on to pack one, pick eight. Uh, there's two lockets, Azor- an Orzov locket and an Azorius locket. There's also an Azorius Guildgate and a late Savage Smash. But I think at this point, like I just know I'm going to be Esper, and I happily snapped up a free Azorius Guildgate here.
1: Yeah, I mean, so this is a really great first eight picks to see how uh, Ben is strongly navigating this pack. Like, you know, the power level of cards in this format is there, and it's not generally at common. I think that's another reason that I I'm, I like Impassion Order because it's it's something that I like that is at common. But, you know, as the packs progress, just taking lands is just some of the best things you can do. It's way better than taking just like filler, four drops, five drops, or six drops. And then this keeps happening to me. Pack one,
0: pick nine. I wield Sky Tether, which is one of the cards I was considering first picking. I think that card goes criminally late because you can just build your deck to where it's a premium removal spell.
1: Yeah. There's also Azorius Guildgate still in the pack.
0: Right. And then pick 10. I got a free Orzhov Guildgate. And then the the races are just on. And then you're just building a control deck there with the best cards you can find.
1: Right. And he's got now he's in Esper Colors. So Gateway Sneak, Archway Angel and the Colossus are now all. Great pickups for you because you already have a handful of gates. Yep. Yeah. I mean, it's really hard for me to navigate away from these Esper or like base white blue if, if you go into Bant style of decks because they're so flexible and powerful. Yep. All of the boxes are checked. Yeah, for sure. I like this format. I'm going to go draft. <laughs> I wish I could go draft. Unfortunately, I've got this sweet five
0: color Dovins Acuity deck. I'm going to have to test out and see, see if I can get there or not. I
1: feel so bad for you. I know it's a rough life. So (laughs) thank you as always to Salty Pretzels for our intro and outro music. Make sure you give that a listen. Come check us out. I've been streaming a ton. Hopefully, Ben, you'll be back on the mean streets of Twitch this week. Oh, yeah. Uh, Solo and ensemble is over.
0: My students all performed yesterday. I had like 100 kids go do solos ensembles. They all performed very well. Um, So I am free. Like for the next two months, the band's not going to be super overpowering. So there'll be many, many, many streams incoming in the next couple months.
1: Excellent. So I'm at twitch.tv slash Lord Tupperware. Ben is at twitch.tv slash Mr. Metronome. We're both under those same usernames on Twitter, and you can also tweet at the podcast at Lords of Limited.
0: Our Ravnica Allegiance achievement list is going to be coming out next week. We're going to get that treasure hunt ready to go for you. So if you've got any ideas for submissions, please be sure to shoot them our way before next week's episode.
1: We've got our first Ravnica Allegiance showdown video up on YouTube as well. We'll have more of those coming down. Thank you to our fine, fine patrons for getting that stretch goal unlocked so you get to watch me and ben join a draft pod together draft both of our decks and then we face them off in a head-to-head match with both hands revealed with all the banter and smack talk you could want (laughs) thank you so much and we'll catch you next week for another episode of lords of limited thanks everybody see you later Band director, what is a trumpeteer?
0: <laughs> a, a person that plays the trumpet?
1: Not a trumpeter. Is it? <laughs> did I type it
0: wrong in the show notes? No, like, no, you
1: just said trumpeteer, and I was wondering if that was like like the head trumpeter or what? Uh, no, it's not. No. A, <laughs> that's
0: not a specific thing. <laughs>
1: okay. All right. Let's just check. Trumpeter, it.
0: trumpet, trumpetist, trumpeteer, trumpeteer. <laughs> like it's a person that, like you know,
1: it's good to play the trumpet. It's got to be trumpeter, right? One who trumpets. A trumpeteer seems legitimate also. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. All right. Fair.